So far in our study of the heroes of the faith who endured a difficult or broken road, we've studied Job, who had to go through the broken road of physical affliction. We also looked at Joseph, who endured prison. Elijah, as we studied him sitting under a broom tree in depression. Moses, as we looked at last week, who went through three bouts of intense discouragement. Today we're going to take a look at David and the brokenness of a moral failure. It should have never happened, but it did. And that's the way life is, isn't it? It should never have happened, but it did. We have a tendency to only look at people as only the good, the bad, and the other. But most of the time, I think I'm getting a new mic here. <laughs> David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Father, I pray that, God, you would help us to navigate this terrible, terrible tragedy, this moral failure in the life of David, not so that we could look down upon him, but also that we could find caution and find encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. David had been called a man after God's own heart. He's definitely one of the heroes that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, He's noted as a giant killer, a sweet songster, a faithful friend, and one of Israel's greatest kings, and Israel's greatest king. He, he wrote most of the Psalms. He prepared the materials for the building of the temple. And when evaluating the kings of Judah, the scriptures will often compare them as a pattern set by David. Yet David was a man who was subject to the same sinful temptations that all men face. We're going to pick up the story of David's moral blowout. The first part we see that David is tempted. One particular night, he was taking a walk on his roof in verse 1 and 2. This was during the time when the kings should have been with the troops that went out to battle. Yet David leisurely took a stroll. He saw a beautiful woman taking a bath on a nearby rooftop. Now, temptations are a part of life. You cannot find a temptation-free zone. As a matter of fact, we thought we could do that with COVID, didn't we? All we have to do is get enough hand sanitizer. 
All we have to do is make sure that we're masked or double masked. We get our inoculations. We get our booster. We get another one. And then we're good to go. And you know what? I have found a lot of people who had all of that and stayed in their bedroom and still got COVID. You can't flee. And you can't be anywhere where there's a temptation-free zone in life. David was exposed just like we will all be exposed, but it's what happened next is the important thing. And so the next thing, David commits the sin. He saw her, and he kept staring at her. He couldn't take his eyes off of her. He then inquired who this woman was, and then he sent for her. Being the king, you could do anything you want. He abused his power and took her into his bedchamber and committed adultery with her. He abused his power. Boy, that happens all the time today, don't they? You find it in every walk of life. You find it in the military where people who are higher up prey on the, those that are less uh, down in rank and, of course, who are you going to complain to? Uh, or it happens in the educational system with teachers abusing their privilege, police officers, perhaps a boss at work, a political leader, or an older relative, and even a spiritual leader who sometimes take advantage of their position and prey upon those and abuse their power just like David did. Well, the woman didn't have a choice. When the king sends for you, you go. Notice After he was done, he sent her home. Wow, that was fun. Let's get on with life. Well, David attempts an elaborate cover-up. Bathsheba's husband was one of David's soldiers, and he was the king. She was not going to tell anyone if she knew what was best for her. The sin possibly could be ignored But then something happened. David discovered that Bathsheba was pregnant. And so to cover that up, he had an idea. I know what I'll do. I will give Uriah a leave. And, you know, military things happen all the time. You're in a prolonged engagement, a siege. Just have this one soldier come home on leave. And he would go home and be with his wife and the pregnancy would be covered up and explained away. Well, Uriah came home, but he had such a loyalty to his task, loyalty to his king, loyalty to his fellow soldiers, that even though he was allowed to and encouraged to, he wouldn't go home to his wife because God's people are out there on the battlefield, and who am I to go home? Well, of course, David uh, had to think again. He says, oh, What if I get him drunk? (laughs) He won't know what he's doing. So he had Uriah get drunk. And even in a drunken stupor, Uriah had enough moral integrity. No, my, my soldiers are out there. I'm not going home with my wife. So David had to come up with plan C. And this is where David's wickedness and his darkness really gets intense He talks to Joab. Joab is the captain of the army. Joab is a tough soldier. 
and he takes orders. David said, Joab, put Uriah at the front of the battle and tell everybody else to move back and don't tell Uriah. Well, they're up to the front at the siege and the arrows are coming from the fortification and the rest of the soldiers move back and Uriah doesn't get the memo and he is killed. He is killed. Problem solved. The cover-up was successful. Well, they forgot about one person. Nobody else knew, but God knew. You know, you ought to think about that. When you think that you can cover up things, there is one who is all-seeing, and God has a way of revealing the truth. So he told Nathan, God told Nathan the prophet, Nathan, I want you to go to King David and confront him with his sin. So Nathan goes and tells David this story and confronts him with his sin. David blew it big time. Adultery may not have been a big deal among the kings of the various nations at that time, but it's always a big deal to God. As a matter of fact, David broke the sixth and the seventh commandment. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, and the seventh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. That is just as, just as blatant as you can get. David was told by Nathan the consequences of his actions. Because you have done this, the child, which is going to be born, will die. You would think, well, good, that's over and that's put out of the way. No, it wasn't because everybody would know that David had done this and that child was going to be the king's son and the child that was born from adultery died and David would have to endure the shame of his actions before the whole nation. Even though David suffered for his sins... God did not write off his servant, David. We're going to take time to explore the dangers of a walk on a roof. We need to learn from David's experience and see what happened. The Old and the New Testament both warn us frequently about the dangers of moral failure, adultery, and even lust. God created marriage as legitimate boundaries for sexual fulfillment of his children He tells us in Hebrews, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What happened to this sweet psalmist of Israel, this man after God's own heart? Let's look at some of the factors that perhaps led into this moral failure of David. I think, first of all, idleness. It says in 2 Samuel 11.1, In the spring of the year, at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants, but David remained at Jerusalem. He should have been busy. He should have been out there with the rest of the soldiers fighting and leading him. He was a warrior, but he just stayed home, and he had plenty of time on his hands in idleness. He should have been actively engaged on the battlefield, but was caught in temptation by idleness. In our culture today, there are so many opportunities for idleness that could be used as the devil's playground. Spare time and carelessness, not engaged in the battle. 
I'm the king and I'm strong enough to resist the temptations. And he, and he just doesn't even prepare for what might have happened with all that time in his hands. The space shuttle Challenger, that explosion that happened in the mid-80s. The New York Times wrote about this, and he put it bluntly. The ultimate cause of the space shuttle Challenger disaster was pride. Upper-level managers ignored the warnings of those down the line who warned about the booster rocket's performance under great stress. The O-rings could not work under extreme temperatures. It is so true with us. When we are facing different temptations, sometimes things just give way. And idleness was one of those factors. Also, lack of accountability. He was the powerful king. Nobody had to tell him what to do. He was not only powerful, but he was a respected man of God. Nathan took his life in his hands when he dared to finally speak to the king about his great sin. Perhaps if Jonathan, David's friend and confidant, were alive, he would have been that faithful friend to steer David away from this affair He felt that he was strong, but every one of us need to realize that we all stand on the edge of a moral abyss. One false move, one yield to temptation could cause disaster. And David should have been accountable. He should have been cautious. I think we need to be careful in our day. Be careful with being alone with a member of the opposite sex. Be careful with flirting. Be careful with coarse jesting with a sexual nature. And be accountable. Be accountable to your spouse or a close friend. The second look and further inquiry. David should have resisted that first look. He should have said, oh, there's a woman there. Oh, yes, uh, let me go and get something to drink downstairs. Should have got out of there. Should have. You, You can't keep the birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You see, we can't keep ourselves from seeing and being tempted, but all we have to do is just walk away. And David should have walked away and gone downstairs. But he didn't. He should have resisted that first look. Someone said it's better to shun the bait than struggle in the snare. Whenever we take that second look or linger in the temptation zone, we'll find it hard to do the right thing. David wrote most of the Psalms. In one of the Psalms, he writes this. Imagine David writing this. This was before his uh, sin with Bathsheba. In Psalm 25, verse 20 to 21, he says, Guard me and deliver me. Do not let me be disgraced, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and what is right watch over me, for I wait for you. He asked God to guard him and not be disgraced. And he prayed prayed to maintain integrity. However, David let his guard down when he took that second look and sought this immoral relationship. The fourth lesson, dangers of a walk on a roof, the neglect of a healthy marital relationship. David should have gone home and been with his wife. The lure of the forbidden is as old as the Garden of Eden. 
Proverbs 5 tells us in verses 15 to 19, and it poetically describes the, the need to have fulfillment within the boundaries of marriage. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breast satisfy you and be lost in her love forever. But you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. But the water bill is twice as high. You got to pay for it. And David really paid for it. Well, David's moral failure, this last part, gives us some hope. We tend to write people off. We tend to say, okay, they don't get a seat at the table with the good Christians because they've done this. But I'm glad that God is the God of the second chance. And I'm glad that David's failure doesn't end here. Notice Rebuilding your broken world. The first thing that David had to do is do a thorough job of repenting. Listen to Psalm 51 because this is specifically his prayer when Nathan came to him and confronted him. This is the brokenness in his heart. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David is broken. He's not giving any excuses. He's not blaming Bathsheba. She shouldn't have been on the brook taking a bath. You know, he, he is being honest and he is broken. In his book, Rebuilding Your Broken World, Gordon MacDonald, who was a respected and famous pastor in the 80s, had a moral failure. He says this in his writing this book in his way back in fellowship with the Lord. Brokenness implies an acceptance of full responsibility for what has happened. A genuine sorrow reflecting an awareness that one has grieved God and those who have been affected by the broken world choice you've made. And David sets the example for us. He doesn't blame Bathsheba for her part. He doesn't blame the victim for being naked on the roof. He did not pay her for her silence or offer a non-disclosure agreement. He does not even try to deny his sinful tryst after Nathan brought 
the sin into the light. He pours out his confession to God, and after all, because he, God, was the one he most offended. If we're ever going to get past a moral failure, we must fully admit to our sin, to God, and to those we have hurt. Sometimes it takes a confrontation, like in David's case. Sometimes it takes emptiness and desperation in order to rebuild your broken world. It starts with repentance. But also, the second thing, ask God to put a song in your heart again. Biblical scholars estimate that it was probably about a year before David confessed his adultery. And during that period of a year, well, Bathsheba was pregnant and he was not telling people and he was trying to hide his sins His life was broken. It's like your hand was heavy upon me. During this time, he wrote no psalms and played no music. The Bible describes this time as a time of God's hand being heavy upon him, a time of groanings instead of gladness. Yet his repentance brought the joy back. He restored his relationship with his God. You know, when we're guilty of something like this, We don't have to live in the darkness of being a second-class Christian for the rest of our life. We can have the joy of the Lord's song restored to us. In Psalm 51, 12, David prays this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Psalm 51, 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. My friend, there's hope. There's hope for a walk with the Lord. There's hope for cleansing. There's hope for joy. The third thing, rebuilding your broken world, humbly accept the consequences of your failure. David was told that the child born from this affair, would die. He prayed intently that this would not happen, yet the bad news eventually came to the king. He, with a broken heart, accepted the tragic news. I've seen God restore marriages after an adulterous affair. I've seen miracles happen of restoration, but I've also seen adultery destroy a marriage, and that there's, there's nothing left to repair. You, you have to realize and accept the consequences of that moral blowout. Those who are involved in ministry will suffer the consequences of shame and may lose the privilege of returning to public ministry, but you have to understand that that's a part of God can restore your song, but sometimes you still have to understand that There will be consequences. And then finally, let God use your brokenness as a lesson for others. I notice in Psalm 51, verse 13, David says this. Then, what do you mean then? After his repentance, after the Lord has put a song back in his heart, after he's been restored and healed and the brokenness, then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. Then I can get involved in using this tragedy to help 
someone else to be restored. And the challenge for all of us as God's people is be the dispenser of God's grace. Ananias was the dispenser of God's grace when he took Paul under his wing when everybody was afraid of him. Barnabas was a dispenser of God's grace and when Mark had failed, he brought him back and healed him and helped him. As we close up, I'd like to make three applications that we need to take away from it. First of all, moral failure will bear bitter consequences. You can't cover it up. You realize that it's going to, to cause some difficult situations. It's better to avoid the temptation. It's better to not take that second look. And third, amazing grace can restore the deepest failures. Jim Ryan was considered one of the greatest milers of history. He set world records, won gold medals. He was the favorite at the Olympic in one year in the 1,500 meters During the race, he was at the front, and there was some jostling, and he immediately fell to the track, and the runners were nearing the finish line. Ryan Ryan was laying on the track, and he knew that his chances of getting up and winning were virtually gone. What were his options? Well, just to stay down, just to quit, go back to the showers, stew in anger and self-pity, But he only had one thought, get up and finish the race. And he did. Others won the medals that day, but he finished the race. David failed, but he got back up and finished his race. I am so glad that we have a God that will forgive us and heal us no matter what sin we've committed We can get back up and have our song restored. Let's remember that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you very much for the example of these Bible heroes that walked a broken road. And Father, if I'm speaking to someone this morning that is on that broken road and they're trying to think of what to do because of a failure in their life, God, I pray that you would... Help them to realize that you are a God that can restore the song and you are a God that can heal the broken places. Help your people to find hope and courage as they get back up and serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.